All right, well, I like to do, as you know, we'll read through the portion of Scripture we want to look at. So I, I see it this way. I want, to, I want to catch the context, so to speak, and then look at the content. You know, what is in here? What's framed? What topically or relationally, whatever it may be. So let's read verses 1 through 12. We'll come back and look at it in grouping and then finish our time um, uh, closing out with verses 13 and 14. So 1 Corinthians chapter 16, we'll pick up on verse 2. We've read 1. On the first day of the week, let each of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. Verse 5. Now I'll come to you when I pass through Macedonia, for I am passing through Macedonia. And it may be that I will remain or even spend the winter with you, that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you if the Lord permits. But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost, For a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. And if Timothy comes, see that he may be with you without fear, for he does the work of the Lord, as I also do. Therefore, let no one despise him, but send him on his journey in peace, that he may come to me, for I am waiting for him with the brethren. Verse 12, now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you with the brethren, but he was quite unwilling to come at that time, at this time. However, he will come when he has a convenient time. All right, let's go back. Let's take on verses 1 through 4 and see what uh, nuggets, what truths are, are residing within that, what we can uncover. I would say by maybe outline form to, to see it, um, financial giving is a practice based on principles. So it's not just spontaneous. It's not impulsive. There, there's a place for that uh, urgency or that need when things are being made known. But understand some of these principles. First of all, love one another. Help those who are truly in need. So this collection's being taken. Uh, they were doing it also in the churches of Galatia because a need had arisen. The need was in Jerusalem. So what happened was, the situation was present, was we know that from Scripture that the the Jerusalem church had a large number of widows that were in in need, legitimate need. And the young church, the early church, this first century church is realizing, how do we meet the needs within what we would call, and the Scripture defines as the church body. And so there's this need there. And there was also at that same time in Jerusalem, there was a famine in the area. And there were hard times resulting in legitimate family needs within the body of Christ. So how did how could the condition, the situation in Jerusalem be helped? Well, by love. Because the the need was made known, love one another, help those who are truly in need. I know it is a challenge, because that's an important part of it, truly in need. See, there's many people in our culture, in in the world, cross-cultural, that will ask for help. But there's more that actually need help. And oftentimes those who need help, in in humility, I believe, and in just trying to work things out, are not looking for a handout. 
They're trying to figure out how to work it out. And now those are the ones you're often like, okay, how do I connect with them? And whereas there's other people, I'm not putting one category against another. It's just an observation. There's others that are just more vocal. They've learned, hey, I'll just ask. I'll just throw it out there, you know. And so it's one of the things that we find challenging in a good way because it causes us to simply pray in regards to what's called benevolent need. When there's a need that comes in and a request that's made, we we take each one of those uniquely and we see them individually. Because we believe God will give us direction on how to participate in the global in the in the body of Christ. So we see financial giving, this practice is based on loving one another. We can also see from verse two that financial giving is a practice based on don't manipulate emotion in order to get money. I don't think that's ever happened. You know, I've read about some people that suggest it took place, but you know, probably never happened, right? You know, I'm being a wise guy. It happens way too much. This this coercion and this stirring of emotion. And look what Paul is saying. Listen, I don't want you guys pulling the apostle, the apostle Paul card when I come into town. Take the collection ahead of time and, and, and let it be taken care of. No collections when I come. Very fascinating. Paul did not use his position in Christ to coerce cash out of people. He really believed that God would provide. He really believed that as the need was made known and it was presented to, to, to the body of Christ, to believers, that they would respond to the prompting of God and participate in the work of God for the glory of God. So he didn't really have to show pictures. He didn't have to put a thermometer on stage. He didn't have to weigh the bucket, pass it back down the row again until he got more cash or more coins or whatever it is. You know, some of the things that happen... In this area, historically, are just sad because they portray and present that those who are asking for money don't believe God can provide the money. Therefore, they manipulate the people to get the money, and it just—it's—it's just—it's just wrong. I know I'm a little jaded, but I grew up with the sense that you know you just—I don't know—you just wear. It's like a strong arm type of thing in the religion of reference that I grew up in, it caused me to be very cautious in regards to how these things are handled. Paul, you notice here, he, rep- he presented the need, correct? This is, this is, you know, take up the collection. He reminded them of the principle of love, which is just a need for help. And then he let those who understand what giving means, he let them participate in what God was doing. So now it's the money is assimilated, the, 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 the love offering, the gift to help a, a, need, a genuine need. Brings us to the third point in regards to financial principles. Integrity is not afraid of transparency. Integrity is not afraid of transparency. Notice what Paul says. So you guys take care of this. When I get there, if... Your guys want to go and deliver the stuff to Jerusalem? I'm good with that. Maybe it'll work out. We can travel together, whatever is necessary. He wasn't saying, give it to me. Let me handle it from here on out. He understood that was, as there's a stewardship. There's a, a sense of uh, integrity and responsibility that as a local collection was taken, there was a, there was a, 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 a wise decision to say, hey, listen, let's go with Paul. And Paul didn't even ask that. He didn't even sense that. He just said, hey, if you guys want to go, no problem. And I, you see what I'm saying? It's like integrity 
is not afraid of transparency. He was willing to say, hey, let's go. You know, he wasn't concerned like, man, if I get to Jerusalem and then I don't give them the money, you know, these guys are going to rat me out. He wasn't, there wasn't that in the you know, just And you, I think you guys get it because you've been, you've been worked. If you're like more than two years old, you've been worked. You've either been worked by a two-year-old or you've been, you know, and then in the church, it, I hate to say it that way, but it's just, I just know it's a fact. Sad, but at the same time, let's not say, well, because of this, I won't participate in this. Let's just say, wait a minute, let's, there's ways it can be done and there's ways it should be done that we get to participate in what God is doing in regards to the financial needs, in regards to the, the opportunities we have to, to really support one another and to be a part of his work. And I'm, I, I, there's several passages I could take this topic and, and we could go into giving and we could look at the biblical principles and we could talk about those things. But I really have a sense that to, to be in frame with the content, it's addressing a specific thing. Agreed? A collection that takes place so that it can be delivered to a church in need. And now we have some framework for that. So we're going to move from there right into verse 5. Now I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia. So he knows I'm, I'm, going, I'm going to go to Macedonia. And in that regard, he's not sure the timing of it. And we can see he says, you know, I'd, I'd like to stay longer with you. I don't, I don't want to stick around this first pass through. There's things I got to do. But I'd love to come back and hang with you guys. What's the application for you and me as we read through this relationship he had with them and the history, but the principles as well? Being led by the Spirit involves engaging the intellect. It almost seems contrary in some circles. Being led by the Spirit involves engaging the intellect. Paul had thoughts, ideas, he had plans, Yet he remained flexible to see what manner and timing God would bring about. It's you and I, how's the application? Well, have you ever had this prayer? Lord, just uh, where do I move to? Lord, when do I get to move from Mountain Home? Lord, shall we move to Mountain Home? Lord, you know, shall I take this job? What about, and you're, you're praying like, man, I, and you, deep down, we kind of want easy street. We kind of want some, Holy Ghost happening that levitates us beyond gravity, moves us into the right space, places us there on a cloud, and, and, and then there's just unicorns and butterflies and everybody lives happily ever after. It's like we want this, but we really don't want that. We really deep down want to know our relationship with the living God, having the sensitivity to what he's leading and what he's saying. So we pray things like this. Lord, I just, just pray. Just show me which door. Do I go out this door? Or do I go out this door in the, in the leaving of this room? And yeah, you can see, I'm just using this as an example. And so we're praying, okay, and we, you go all King James perhaps, because this is serious, so you got to elevate your game a little bit. Like, oh, Lord, if thou art goodest, maneth, and so I just prayeth. You know, you can, whatever you have to do to kind of show your fervency and seriousness, and you, you know, you're trying to figure it out. Which door do I go through? Yes. No, no, that's not an appropriate answer. Which door? Door number one or door number two, like some game show? Which one, Lord? Yes. Oh, God, I got I to I fast. That's, that's it. I'm not fasting. So I'll fast for a couple of days. Okay, Lord, which door? Yes. It's like, oh, my Lord, seriously? Which door? Yes. Here's the thing. 
God presents in the Garden of Eden and every, for every life since then far more yeses than you can imagine. You just need to know what no is. That's the one we need to know, what no is. Lord, should I do this? Yes. Well, should I do this? Yes. Should I do this? Yes. I can't do it all. Yes. Well, what do I do? Don't do that. Oh, you mean that? Yeah, that. Of this one tree, don't eat. Oh, what tree? We're tilted with more of a fascination with the no than we are about the yes. And, and I don't mean to in any way make it sound like our, our calling, our invitation, our opportunities are so general, everything works. But I really believe in my life experience and talking to many people and looking at the word of God, he directs our steps. Well, but if I go out this door, I'll end up closer to that door, but I got to get my kids over by this door. Yes. Think about it. If that's too far to walk, go this way first. Go through either door. It's like, this is what I feel he's spoken to me so many times. And I'm with you on either door. I'm just glad to have the conversation with you. I'm just, this has been a really nice discussion. And yeah, I'm, I got you on this. Okay, but don't do that. Okay, just know what no is. You've been trying to teach your kids that. If you have kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. God's doing the same. Remain flexible. Being led by the Spirit involves engaging the intellect. Moving on to verse 8. He says he'll stick around in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. <laughs> Make up your mind, which one is it? Is it a great and effective door, or is it there's many adversaries? Don't you see sometimes we see it differently? He's saying this door is open. There's a po- an opportunity for me to engage and connect, and, and, and there's much resistance. Well, then go over here then, where you can, you know, it's going to be like more of God's presence because it's easier. Mm-mm. Where there are opportunities, obstacles are always present. Where there is access, these doors of opportunity, where there's access, there are many adversaries. Let's take a look and see what the, the, the Old Testament shows us a little bit. I believe a, a great story, a great correlation and connection is found in Nehemiah. We're going to come back to 1 Corinthians 16. Let's look. It's an example of opportunity, yet obstacle. So the story of Nehemiah, real briefly, in chapter 1, Nehemiah gets a word from Jerusalem back to where he's working under King Artaxerxes, and Sushan, which was like the palace or getaway. So he's working there. Word comes back that, that things are in disarray. Zerubbabel, I believe, led a group. Uh, Ezra led a group. And, and people had went back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and rebuild the wall so they had defense. And so Nehemiah's praying. He gets the report. And then he goes before the king. And he requests opportunity to go help his people. And he's commissioned by the king to go and and rebuild these walls. And so he goes, he travels all this way. He gets there. He hasn't even done his walkthrough yet. That begins in uh, verse 11. But in verse 10 of chapter 2 of Nehemiah, we read, as, as Nehemiah's arrived and he's checking things out, when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of it, They were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. 
So here as he arrives, somebody there, these two people listed, and there's others, they were just the representatives, the officials, that were deeply disturbed. They were, and we'll see they do, interfere. They become an obstacle in this opportunity to do a work for God. As you look at the context of that, you, you can't help but make the connection, I believe. What disturbed these opponents? What offended them? That someone would seek the well-being of the children of Israel. Do you know that principle is practiced in this world you and I live today? That if someone seeks the well-being of Israel, many people are very uptight. Like right now, we have an odd, well not, but is, an odd manipulation of recent history. And what's happening is there was an attack by a very hateful group, an Islamic group called Hamas. They invaded a land that was not their own with the very intention of a very barbaric and murderous activity. They went into Israel and they, they slaughtered people. And then they went back taking hostages and killing them in the time, just using them as pawns in this, this horrible attitude. Yet we see in our colleges and universities and, and cities and various things, free Palestine. Free Palestine. What? No, no. See, here's the problem with that. Free Palestine from Hamas. Hamas is where the hatred comes from, but because Israel is responding uh, properly because their people were murdered, and the people that murdered them said, if we get a chance, we're going to do it again. And that's documented. We're going to do it again and again. We will not quit until we drive you to the sea. From the river to the sea, removed completely. That's their goal. Now, I'm saying this, and obviously you're looking at me like, yeah, we, we know that. But guess what? You live in a world that is deeply disturbed that somebody would do good for Israel. I, I don't know if history, <laughs> it, it bears itself. I don't know why, but there's, there's Haman, there's Herod, there's Hitler, there's Hamas. What the H is going on around here? I have no idea. I have no connection why the H. But it's like... Really? What's the commonality? Hatred. Hatred towards Israel. And even in this situation here, they were deeply disturbed. And so when there is an opportunity, there will be obstacles. And sometimes those obstacles, you know, there are people that can kind of weasel their way in and seem to be a part of what you're doing. But ultimately, they're, they're covert. Do you know the sad truth of October 7th? is that many Palestinians were allowed to work in Israel. And they went into these kibbutzes, and they got to know the people. And when this planned event took place, they betrayed the friendships they developed for the very purpose of killing the people they met. How wicked, how sinister was that? And it happened. That's why I'm not, I'm not, you can take your sides wherever you want. I'm just looking at this going, man, this is a pattern that repeats itself through history. People become friendly, but yet they're not in the long haul. Let's continue with this idea, this idea, this example here in Nehemiah as we look at chapter 4. In chapter 4, so what happened in chapter 2 with Nehemiah and then 3, the people all responded to, the, to God's stirring and reminding, hey, let's get this done. 
And they literally jumped in, each part doing his part. They did their section of the wall, and some of them did extra. Well, there's progress being made. And, and the adversaries, the, the enemies, the opponents, they begin to mock and ridicule. Like, are you kidding me? Look at how crappy their work is. Even if a fox climbs on the wall, the whole thing's going to fall apart. And, but yet, as they mock, they're realizing, yeah, they're getting, some, they're getting it done. Well, in chapter 4, as they ridicule those who are doing the work, we see in verse 7, now it happened, notice it's the same guys again, when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they, began, they became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. This is how you deal with opposition in the midst of opportunity. They made their prayer to God. They recognized that there's these adversaries and opponents, obstacles, but yet they said, you know what? We're going to pray. But their prayers were also practical. They were every day, because you notice what they said? We're going to pray, and we're going to set a watch. There was an action related, you know, as they were led by the Spirit, intellect is involved. So they're like, we're going to pray, and, and we believe God will take care of us, and he's going to, we'll just work with awareness. We'll watch. We know, actually, and I won't get into the details of this, but as they do that, and the opposition is still present... They then decide and realize, you know, we're going we're gonna to keep focusing on God. We're going to keep seeking his face. And they had a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other, conveying awareness, conveying staying on task, but also showing that we're going to stand for our family. We're going to protect ourselves in, the, in this process. So when we're looking at examples, you know, opportunities, there will always have obstacles. We want to recognize it's outside, and quite honestly, it's inside. Nehemiah will leave, go back, take care of some things for Artaxerxes, the king he is working for. And some time will pass, he'll come back. When he comes back to Jerusalem, we're told that Eliashib the priest aligned with Tobiah and gave Tobiah a room in the temple to do business, a storeroom that he could do. And when Nehemiah arrives, he just cleans house, literally chucks all his stuff out of there like he's just probably scratching and said, what are you doing? Because I think Tobiah was crafty. He found an alliance, a relationship, a connection, some way to come in and, and, and infiltrate one more time. Tobiah types are like wolves. They're hanging around trying to fit in. You know, we sometimes think of wolves as this, this pack is just marauding. That's the last of it. They find their prey. They're very wise. That's why the Bible speaks of wolves in the midst, and they're very crafty, very devious. And I believe there's Tobiah types that fit. They, they fit in pretenders who are more like a wolf than they are like a sheep. And so that's sometimes the obstacles is actually internal, you know, not just external. So no charge for that. That's what I call a bonus point. So let's jump back to 1 Corinthians 16. We are sitting now in verse 10. So uh, great and effective doors open, and I think you can see there in verse 9, yourself, always be aware that where there's opportunities, there are obstacles. And he says in verse 10, Now if Timothy comes, see that he be with you without fear. 
basically what we see in 10 and 11, he's saying of Timothy. Now, Timothy, we know to be the recipient of a letter from Paul, two letters, where Paul encourages him, gives pastoral support, great advice for all of us, great principles embedded in those two letters. And he's told, you know, um, to not be timid, to not be too reserved, for God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So he's encouraging Timothy to stay the course. So we know a little bit about him. Well, here in 1 Corinthians 16, verses 10 and 11, he's basically saying, don't make it hard on Timothy. When he comes, it says here, you know, uh, see that he, he may be with you without fear. You know, don't, don't, don't try to push him around. Don't be bossy. I, I, I'll reference to you. We'll bring it up on the screen. A real simple principle that's in Hebrews 13, verse 17. And this is speaking of godly leadership. It's speaking of, of, of men and women who are, are serving the Lord in, in, in a biblical framework, not, anyway, you get it. In verse, thir- seven, or verse 17 of Hebrews 13, reads this way. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Submissive there speaks of an element of subordinate, of lined up together and serving together. So he's saying, hey, you know, don't make life rough on those who are serving you. It says, but it just would be unprofitable. Now, you, you get it. I've already framed it. It's, it's not a blind allegiance because somebody has a title or a position. It's learning, as Paul even said, as I follow Christ, you follow me. As you see that example, do it in such a way that is actually joyful and not griefful. I know more men have left ministry because of the grief internally than pressures externally. More of the challenges and struggles within, far more than any of the temptations that would come from the outside. So keep that in mind. Let's move on to verse 12. We'll wrap this up with this because we see something about Paul that I hope you can see Concerning Apollos, Paul disagreed. Can you imagine? First time and only time in human history that two men didn't agree on something. (laughs) Obviously, that happens a lot. We disagree. the, the, The apostles were told that just, if you would, hours before the crucifixion, having spent maybe even as much as three years walking with Jesus, learning from Jesus, having lunch with Jesus, listen to him, deal with things, see him extend extend kindness and compassion. We're told that after all that, and then in the last days of their time with him physically, they were arguing over which one would be the greatest. Crazy almost. But you know, God, God is not harshly rebuke them for that. He basically is showing us here in this, this thing, that Paul was not an authoritarian tyrant. He disagreed with Apollos, but he did not disown or cancel Apollos because we're living in a really weird time. It's fascinating that his, they call it progressive, but it's really not progressive. It's a downhill run relationally. We live in a time when, the, the, I've seen this post before, I paraphrase it a little bit, it's kind of a conglomeration, but whoever causes you pain, cut them out, you don't need them. 
Have you seen those variables of that different ways? Like, you know, whoever could reach, I, I kind of get where the premise is in a, in a proper way, but it's presented and just all across the board. You know, it's the growing attitude in this world. If they cause you pain, cut them out. The reality is, for every single one of us, there are times you need the inconvenient honesty that someone will bring, and the truth can sometimes hurt. Correct? It can hurt. Well, if you cancel everything that hurts, you're, you're not going to learn. Here, here's an example. I'm trying not to be too graphic. Um, you ever had dirt or metal in your eye? That's a, probably a yes for all of us. So you, you realize you've got you to get that out. The, the metal in your eye will hurt you more if you leave it there. Some years ago, working in the truck shop where I worked for 20 years, 19 and a half years, I was laying underneath this truck. We're getting it. It's all being put back together. They look pretty tough going down the road. They're not. And when they go off the road, things just start breaking and bending like crazy. So my job as uh, doing rec repair was to put it all back together again, kind of a Humpty Dumpty type of deal. Anyway, I'm laying underneath this truck, drilling a, a chrome bumper, putting a license plate bracket on the bottom. So I'm laying underneath. Well, this piece of hot metal from, the, from drilling bounces, comes off, bounces off my cheekbone underneath my safety glasses and into my eye. Yeah, that's kind of, I was a little more probably verbal than that. But it's like, ah, you know, so that, of course, you instantly you're like, okay, you close your eye. So now I got to get this metal out. I thought I got it out. But there's so much pain from the heat, hot metal and such. So I've done my part. I, I, I do what I can do and thought it was okay. Well, I experienced some pain that night. And the next morning I get up and it's really a different type of pain. It's more of a pressure pain. Well, what happened was because of where the metal was, I got what I thought was the metal out. I got a piece of it out. But it had got in my eye, and then as you blink, you're polishing your eyes. You're glazed. It functionally glazed it over, and now I have a rust ring because that metal is underneath the polish of the eye, the coating of the eye. And so it's like, oh, man. It's like, oh. now I could get mad at someone, like the, 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 the goggle manufacturer or the you know, person that made the bumper or whatever, but I still have to deal with the problem. So I end up going to a specialist, of course, and this is a graphic part, but it, it, it's not that bad. So I go to him, and he goes, okay, this is going to hurt you more than it's going to hurt me. Just the opposite of what my mom used to say. And he's like, no, this is, this is really going to hurt. This is going to be difficult. So they have, they have me lean against the table in a chair, extend my head. They put me in this headgear so I can't move around. He gets a Dremel tool from his rock kit, I think, he puts it on this framework, this thing, machine. He brings it around. He's like, he's literally got grinding the surface of my eye because he's got to get that polished part off to come in and pull the metal out. Anybody want to, I, I could demo it for somebody if they want to practice, you know, see what, how it felt. You, you could, I was like, oh man. Well, guess what? I was better to experience that discomfort and have that removed than I would have to just leave it there and, you know, be mad at the world, so to speak. It's a parallel where we can see even here, Paul understood Apollos seen things differently, and Apollos had to work it out. And so instead of bearing down on him, he actually came alongside him. Hey, he'll get there at a convenient time. That's not meant to be, like, sarcastic. He said, hey, he'll get there. 
an example of the eye, and we see here, and we think of relationships. Sometimes it takes someone else to see what you couldn't see, and then you being willing to receive from that person. And I believe we see that about Paul. Paul disagreed, yet realized Paul had to work it out. It's better to be where you need to be. Like Apollos isn't going to be there in Corinth. It's better to be where he was because he wanted to be there. You know, um, when you're when you're willing, it's good. When you're unwilling, it's not good. Agreed. When you're unwilling, it's it's like old lettuce. It just gets uglier and uglier. It just doesn't get better, right? You know, it goes from kind of crispy green to darker green to that spinach, canned spinach thing. And then it's like slick and it tastes salty. No, I've never tasted it. But, you know, I mean, I'm sure it's like it doesn't. So when you're, when you're unwilling to be somewhere but you go there, okay, let's just say it this way. You're a pain in the neck. And, and Paul's saying about Apollo, so he'll get there. Because he knew, I could maybe force him, but yeah, we all got it. Let's, give a, let's go look at a real quick, a simple summary as the worship team works their way back up. And let's consider three things. Real simple, real practical. Be gracious in your giving. Looking back on the first few verses, just be gracious. Keep it that simple. Keep your heart soft before the Lord. Let him direct you. Be gracious in your giving. Be persistent in your serving. As you serve, we looked at Nehemiah as an example and some opposition and obstacles, but you'll face that whether you're helping as an usher, whether you're in children's ministry, whether you sign up and sacrificially serve in some way, you're going to face some obstacles. Be persistent in your serving and be humble as you're learning. The third point, be humble. It's just, you know, we've all got so much to learn. We got so much that God would pour into us and his love pouring forth from us that as he would lead us, man, what a beautiful thing that we would grow closer to him. So will you stand with me? We're going to close in prayer. We're going to sing a song of worship together. And then I'm going to step up one last time to read a particular portion of scripture to you. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word today. Thank you, Lord, that you are faithful as we put our trust in you, as we recognize that we have rebelled against you. And then when we believe and receive your gift of life, we're born again. So beautiful and simple, so expensive for you paid it with your life, but you conquered death and hell. And so in this life, teach us, Jesus, what it means to, to walk in truth, what it means to know you, what this new life is. And Lord, for every one of us, Lord, whether we just began that journey right this moment or whether we've been walking with you for a long time, let us not be trapped by the things behind us, but be awakened to what you have before us. Teach us, Lord, to look forward, not in foolishness and not in neglect, but to learn from those things behind us, but being ready to be led, being willing to be taught, being humble before you for you are faithful. You who began a good work will be faithful to complete it in our lives individually, and you'll draw us together collectively for your glory. So Lord, we sing this song to you and thank you. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.